On this episode of Eager to Know, twin mind readers separated at birth, a surprising benefit of running, and my personal experience of being a magician. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Mark Toland is an international award-winning mind reader. We spoke about how he got into such a unique and interesting career. I am personally fascinated with magic, mind reading, and all that stuff, so I was thrilled to be able to hang out with him and get to know him better. So Mark, describe to me what you do. I am a full-time professional entertainer. I am a mentalist or mind reader, whatever you want to go by. That means I do psychological illusions, uh, magic of the mind, um, slide of thought, whatever you want to say. Mentalism is kind of uh, magic. If you think of magic as being entertainment with props, mentalism is kind of entertainment with thoughts and ideas. So instead of using cards or coins or something like that, a mentalist uses the thoughts and choices and actions of an audience to kind of create the show. So. I am a kind of cerebral psychological entertainer and do mostly corporate and college events around the country, a little bit internationally throughout the year to make my living. Okay. So when kids are thinking about what they want to be, it's usually like veterinarian, doctor, astronaut, um, probably not a mentalist or a magician. How did that come about for you? I'm assuming it has roots you being a kid and being interested in this. Can you tell me about that? Sure. I was about three or four years old and I saw a flurry of things happen all at once. I saw a performer at the county fair who did illusions. And I wasn't necessarily interested in stage illusions, but the, the amazement side of things really piqued my interest. I was blown away by this guy. I saw David Copperfield on TV. Back then that was when he was still pumping his uh, specials out and uh, you know it was before the internet so I saw that and I just had to remember so what the he had done. so the county fair guy what types of things was he was he just doing? doing comedy magic Sle- sleight of hand um, he he like sawed someone in half like a, an assistant in half those sorts of things you know kind of corny uh, festival magic you know looking back it was probably a very cheesy show but to me as an impressionable um, three or four year old I was just totally gobsmacked by the whole thing and wanted to <laughs> wanted to do that and then the the thing that decided all the clincher was i found so around the same time seeing david copperfield on tv seeing this guy at the fair i found this book and i was in wichita kansas at a bookstore i think it was a borders back then r.i.p and um i found a uh, a book on magic just big thick hardcover book i still have it um with a box attached to it full of props so a silk handkerchief trick deck of cards, magic wand, all these cheesy things. But I had to have this book. I showed it to my dad and he bought it for me. And next thing you know, I was just learning to read. I, I taught myself to read from this book because my parent, I had a younger brother and one on the way um, in addition to my older sisters. So and my parents were quite busy. So I just sat down with these props and this book and learned sleight of hand, learn rope tricks and card tricks and all these things. But even then, even at three, four years old, I was drawn to the, the mental side of things, psychological. I, I loved like guessing what someone was thinking or predictions or things like that. And I remember seeing Copperfield on TV and it translated to me in some weird way. If I can get good at this, maybe this is my ticket out of my hometown. Maybe this is 
how I can like succeed and do something. And maybe I'll be on TV one day or do shows or be an entertainer or something. So that was kind of my path. And I would tell everyone I'm going to be, I, I call myself a magician. I'm going to be a magician. I'm going to be a magician. But you know, when at I came what age, out of college. At what age were you saying that? Oh, kinder, kindergarten, kindergarten, first grade, something like that. What was it about it? Because it sounds like there's like three components in, in my head. There's the actual box with all of these things in the book where you're learning the tricks by yourself. Sure. But then there is also this performance aspect of it, which I don't even know if you were doing that at three and four years old, but there's a showmanship aspect of it. But then there's also this aspect of a future. Like that's a lot for a sure. kid. Sure. I was very uh, quickly obsessed with the whole thing. I I grew up doing, I had um, uh, opportunity to do community theater and, and all sorts of things. So I remember being very young and being in like the kids chorus for multiple musicals and, and school plays and everything. And then as far as the, the magic or mentalism performance, I was doing things at, at show and tell in kindergarten. So I'd go into kindergarten class and I would do a trick. I would learn a trick that week and do a trick for show and tell. Are and you oftentimes mess me? it up. No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, I would oftentimes probably mess the trick up, but I, I would learn some kind of trick to go in and do in front of the class. So even then it was appealing to me in kindergarten, first grade, all those times. Yeah. Was it appealing that you would be getting a reaction, like that it would change your relationship with the audience or the way people perceived you? Or I think I was very. I think I was initially adept at it, like quickly could, could learn these things quickly and just was naturally good at it. Right. So that was why I kept with it. Cause I could learn it quickly and then learn more and more. And then also I think, um, when I was younger and not so much anymore, but when I was younger, I had this tendency to show off, to do things and want attention. So that was an easy way for me to use something that I was good at. And, you know, of course I'm going to go up and do show and tell. Of course I prepared something. I'm going to go up and do it. Now it's less that it's more, I like to tell stories. I like to, you know, give people, uh, some kind of distraction from their, you know, from the stresses of their daily life or something like that. All the, the better things that keep you in the arts for a longer term probably. But early on as is the case. And, you know, many of my friends who have bigger families, I had three siblings and, and um, vying for attention, I, I was doing that. And that was one of many outlets I had to. So it was something that you could do really well very quickly. Sure. Now, if in terms of being a performer and getting attention, do you think that you would have pursued that regardless if you hadn't discovered this? Do you think that would have come out of you anyhow? I guess what I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much of this is is about the tricks that you learned and how much of it is about the performance aspect in your personality? Well, when I when I was about 18 and leaving my hometown, I, I went to USC out in LA and uh, I, was, I just went to study acting to get okay. a degree in theater. So at that time, I remember thinking I was just going to perform on stage. I just wanted to do plays or musicals or something like that and just be a performer. And then um, when I was using, you know, especially in L.A., they want you to highlight your special skills. What's yeah. your special skills at the bottom of your resume or whatever? And I still would. Magic is is something and continues to this day that I have not really ever let go. It's it's definitely got, gotten quiet in some times when I'm more busy than others. But it's always been there and been an interest and, and something I've done. And so when I highlighted that skill and did those things and people took interest, I just kept doing it more and more and realized, no, maybe I should do this instead. I hate auditioning. I hate 
um, you know, just my headshot in a pile. And I felt like I could really stand out doing, you know, my show very quickly became all mentalism, all psychological illusion. So I felt like I could stand out that way. So, you know, I, I knew I wanted to perform and then it kind of, you know, came full circle and found me back doing that. And so by the time I was out of school, I was like, I'm not going to do a cattle call audition. I'm going to go out and be, you know, a solopreneur in okay. any way, in many ways. I didn't want to be a businessman. I just want to be an artist, but you know, I'm going to go out and do mentalism instead of, you know, be an extra on TV shows for 20 years until I get a big part or something like that. Yeah. Looking at all the different types of entertainment, I feel like the type of stuff that you do in magic is unique because of the way it makes people feel. Like, what is that? It's a, it's a sense of discomfort. Like when you go to the movie, when you go to the movies, it distracts you, but it usually fills you with fear or it fills you with sadness or, you know, when you read a book, you kind of get similar emotions. But I feel like when you're watching a magic trick, because I went to, we'll talk about this more, I went to Chicago Magic Lounge. Oh, sure. I was in a completely different world and it was a world I had never been in before. In my head, I was completely, I use the word, the words blown away. But what is that? What what is the what is the place that you're putting people in? How would you describe it? it? It's hard to describe. It's hard to define what it is. I think, much in the way music is a universal language, that perhaps magic, definitely magic, is a universal language. Because if you make something vanish, anyone anywhere in the world is like, "Wow, where'd that go?" You know, they they at least perk up and they get that that's not possible. That they just saw something yeah. out of the normal. Um, as far as what I do, it, mentalism is a spoken art form. So it's a little trickier to translate, um, internationally unless yep. you, unless you know what you're doing, but the feeling that it gives is very similar. I personally, I think I'm drawn more to mentalism than magic because I find it stronger. And what do you mean by stronger? More powerful. And I, I think the, the reactions are, are more powerful and the entertainment factor is more interesting to me and more compelling as an art form. Magic's very kind of surface level. Oh, look, I shocked you. This is amazing. Um, but it's just an object vanishing or, or moving or something. And magicians find ways to try to make it personal. I'll borrow your ring instead of doing it with my ring. Now there's some personal attachment to it because it's your object, yeah. right? Whereas for me, I'm telling someone about themselves. I'm guessing their memory. I'm guessing their birthday. I'm guessing something to do with them. And there is just such power behind that. People come up to me years later, and this is all true. They'll come up to me years later after shows. And they will tell me beat for beat the thing I did to them because it was so, um, you know, emotionally visceral for them that they just can't shake it. And they, they remember they hold on to, you know, little letters I wrote during a show of whatever the piece was for them or, or remember it, you know, in their memory and they hang, hang on to that. So I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than then I, I really try to make my work personal. And I guess that'd be as opposed to you just drawing a picture and me guessing the picture and drawing it 100 feet away. It's way more powerful if you were to think of, you know, your favorite childhood memory or the name of, you know, your best friend when you were younger. And I just pull that out of thin air because suddenly that's your life and that's all about you. And there's no way someone can penetrate in there. So to me, that's that's the first part is the amazing, amazing part. And then in recent years, I've realized that um, I think the reason I keep doing this um, is because we live in a in a time of such connectivity. We have all the answers, our smartphones and our computers and everything we want. Our, 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 you know, our appliances are wired, our smart TVs, you know, Alexa and Google Home and all this nonsense that we have giving us information all the time. And so you can look up any information you want at a moment's notice. 
and you have it. Secondary, forget a song. You you remember the song Shazam, right? You uh, forget who said a movie quote. You can look it up on IMDb instantly. But what I do leaves people with a mystery that they can't Google, they can't figure out, they right. can't find out. So I think it's kind of the final frontier of mystery. Yeah. And I try to tell my audiences, like, just live in that wonder, live yeah. in that mystery and enjoy it because that is something you don't get very often. Absolutely. And after a while, you're just going to have to say, like, I don't know, and that's okay. And I think that is maybe more powerful than that, uh, that initial shock, the ability to, in 2019 or almost 2020 now, say, I don't know, and that's okay. And yeah. I try to live in that moment all the time, in that feeling of, of I don't know, and I don't need to know everything. And um, I'm trying to share that with my audiences as often as possible. Okay, yeah, it's, it's kind yeah. of, like, it makes total sense. It's kind of like when you have movies that have unanswered questions. Sure. And that's much more personally. A twist ending that they don't lean one way or another. And you and can you don't understand. Like, I love a movie where me and my friends go. And then when we go out to dinner afterwards, we're talking about the movie. Like, what did this mean? Like, what do you think sure. happened? And it's all, it's much more interesting for me as opposed to when everything is just buttoned right. up. Right. You both take a stance on one side of the movie and neither one of you is wrong or right because you don't know for sure and you'll never know. So you can equally, like, hold equal ground on that and stuff. Yeah, I do that with my wife all the time. Yeah, totally agree. You mentioned that what you do, unlike magic, which has props, it's just you. And uh, I really appreciate that. I'm a big cook and I'm a scratch cook. So I do everything from just raw ingredients. That's and when awesome. you said that, that's what it reminded me of. It's just you and your voice and your hearing and your interactions with people and you're creating something, a form of entertainment, really out of nothing. Would you say, is that accurate? Yeah, I think secretly I want to be like a stand-up comedian or something like that, right? So aesthetically, I've tried to make my show very much that, very bare-bones stage, propless, um, you know, however you want to describe it. And then I feel that mentalism is very much a spoken art form. So it's it's using words to paint this picture in the minds of the audience, to make things extra amazing, to build tension and dramatic effect and all these things. And it really is verbal. You know, I... I don't ever do something. You'll see a magician do something to music. They'll, they'll go silent and play music and they'll do something to music for a while and then come back and speak some more or something. There is none of that really in mentalism very often because it's such a spoken thing, but that's what I enjoy. I'm very, I'm very verbose. I, I'm, I've always been that way. So I feel like I fell into this because I wanted to be a storyteller. I wanted to be a standup, you know, I wanted to be an actor and those three or four things are all components of this and keep me coming back. Right. I'm a huge fan of Coney Island. Are you familiar with Coney Island? I am. I've never been, but I've watched some documentaries. And, okay, yeah. so it, so you've watched the documentaries, so you know that years and years ago, you had volumes and volumes of people who oftentimes were middle or lower class, didn't have a lot of money, there wasn't television available, and they needed entertainment. They, they also needed to get out of their hot apartments before air conditioning. Sure. And everyone would go to Coney Island, and it was a lot of entertainment similar to in addition to the rides and the roller coasters there was volumes of sideshows and entertainment and a lot of it was probably the stuff that you do and oh, yeah. it's, so it's very timeless right fortune tellers uh you know the mystics uh the oracles uh yeah there there is a storied history of this sort of thing and it used to, i mean it has a checkered past because a lot of what i was do i i do is rooted in spiritualism fake psychics mediums Mm. Um, all these people that still exist today and are still using the techniques that I use for nefarious means, 
I'm using them for entertainment purposes. Interesting. You know? That's where a lot of this comes from is from that yeah that time period, those kinds of things. Yeah. You know? And before that. But um yeah, that's uh that there is a crossover there that goes to the sideshow, that goes to Coney Island, that goes to seances and all that, which is I mean, I'm fascinated by the whole history of that. I, I think it's ama- well, I think it's amazing that you're doing something that because right now we have so many options for people for basically distraction. I mean, we have everything. Sure. And you're doing something that has been around forever, uh, for you know, for a long time, as we just talked about. Sure. I guess I never really thought about the fortune teller part of it. So that's sort of like the like the evil side of it all. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it depends what what people class themselves as, because there's definitely, you know, that that is wildly popular right now. Or there's TV shows of so-called mediums and psychics and whatnot. There's, I mean, every street I walk in Chicago seems like there's a psychic storefront or third floor psychic or astrology reading or something. Right. But I, I don't believe any of that. I think yeah. it's kind of bad if they're doing it for entertainment purposes. Like there's a festival up the street. We were chatting before we came on. I bet there's some palm reader there. So and it's just for fun. That's fine. Yeah, you know that there's people that have regular clients. Of course. I think we need to do a Netflix series and it's based on like you and your life, but you have a twin brother. And you were both you both were doing these tricks in kindergarten, and you were like the dueling twin magician brothers. <laughs> and one of, you went your path, and then he went the how about separated the, at birth, and we don't realize oh. it, but one went and is like an, a psychic entertainer, and one is like a fake psychic, a fake psychic, and then I, they find out about each other years later oh, and have a magic is, duel or something. I this sounds know. amazing. <laughs> That's the finale. I just ruined the the season finale. <laughs> So I do have some personal experience with magic. So I had a boyfriend who did this, he did magic tricks, but he did this one in particular that completely freaked me out. Like this person that I was like intimately involved with was, it it was a situation where I randomly picked a card and then at the end of the thing, they would be at four cards and I would select, you know, the one of the four cards and it would be my card. Oh, sure. And it's, I'm sure you're hearing this and you know the trick. And I was completely freaked out and it was, it was almost like this disturbance in our relationship type of thing. He ended up showing me the trick and how to do it. And I would, and so ultimately it was a combination of, as, as you probably know, like there was a sleight of hand element, but there was a big performance element because you had to distract people a little bit because there was a little thing that you were doing and you had to make sure that people were paying paying attention to you and not the cards. And, um, and I thought it, and so I would eventually, I would practice this trick and I would do it and fail. And eventually I could do it. And I don't even remember how to do it now, but I remember the look on people's face. They were completely shocked. And I thought that was a really interesting experience to be able to get that type of reaction from people. I just have never had that kind of reaction from someone. And obviously you get this, you, you experience this all the time, but it was very unique. Yes, it is a unique reaction. And, uh, that's kind of that universal language thing I was talking about earlier. Like, like, you know, I, I don't think magic appeals to everyone in, in the world. My wife is, is actually not very, very big on it. She's not a big fan of it. Um, and I think it's just because she's seen so much because she's, we, you know, we've been together a decade or something. So, um, so I don't think she's as in into it. And I, and I'm like not that into it. I I see too much and I'm burnt out on it. 
But when when people see it who don't see it a lot or people who are fans of it see it, they all have a similar kind of awestruck. You know, yeah. they're, they're awestruck or astonished or however you want to describe it. And it, it is it is fun. And there's this weird – I think there's a weird kind of power element in the beginning. That's that showing off thing, that wielding that kind of unknown. You know, I know something you don't, so I yeah. can – look, I, I'm better than you or I can show off or something, you know. And so – I don't, I don't know if you keep it a hobby, that's kind of fun to bust out at parties or if you're just kind of like amateur uh, or semi-pro perhaps and you're doing it part-time, that's kind of a cool feeling to go and, you know, maybe you're kind of like Batman. You're kind of going, you do something else for a while and go back to your day job or something. But it, it, doing this full-time and traveling as, as much as I do and doing all these things after after a while, it's it's figuring out what else is there in that, in that reaction. Yeah. Is there in that feedback from the audience? Because... You know, showing off is exhausting. It's yep. exhausting. That's what I, I did that forever growing up. And I see, I would see classmates in, in acting class just come in with their personalities dialed to an 11 every day because they're, they're trying to get the role. They're always on, always on. And it's yeah. like, I'm not, I don't want to always be on, you know? So I think I found that within that amazement that people react, there are other things. There are, uh, there, there's tears of joy, there's laughter. A lot of people laugh when they see magic or mentalism because they don't know how else to react. Um, and they also have, uh, there, there's also a personal component like we were talking about. And I think the personal component comes down to like the, um, the kind of stories that I like to tell. I think those are different. So I, I have stories about my dad in the show and stories about, um, you, you know, living in the moment and, um, appreciating mystery and all these things. And those, especially the past two, three years have been what people talk about the most, which I think is a real breakthrough for me as, mm -hmm. as, a, as an artist because as opposed to people saying that was amazing you're amazing which they could get down the street at the magic lounge or watching a you know a netflix mind or, reading show or, or riding or, or riding a roller coaster uh, they they absolutely could at least with me they're they're grabbing on to some kind of personal anecdote or message that i've you know added to my show and tried to infuse it with and it appeals to them enough that that's the thing they hold on to i get emails and messages all the time so that's given me the most joy on top of that level of amazement, which is, I think is even more powerful. They're primed yeah. with this, oh my God, how, how the hell did you do this? Plus this like, and there's something I can take away from it, you know? So. so where did that come from? Was that you trying to find a way to keep it more fun and interesting? Or was it about something inside of you that needed to come out and you're expressing? I think I've always wanted to be I've, I've always wanted more. I've always wanted to say something. Um, I'm always blown away when there's like an 18 year old writing a memoir or something. Right. I'm like, how do they have anything to say uh, up to, you know, up to this point in their life? Um, so I was, I was 28 and I was like, I don't know if I have anything to say. Um, but I had ideas of things. And then suddenly I just started writing these things that felt like it was right to put out on stage. And, and I, I started to say them and started to, you know, actually, say things that meant something to me and not just what other people had said or regurgitate other ideas or something like that. But the artists that, that appealed to me the most are the people who had, who, who wanted to say something on top of their entertainment or their art or something like that, you know, and not surface level things. So as much of my living as entertainment, the, the biggest joy for me is producing a solo show where people come and I can actually add content to it or something. Yeah. I mean, how much is creative, how big a part is creativity in what you do? I am 
maybe this is a surprising answer or I, I don't, I'm, I'm would probably say I'm different than most people in my industry and in that the, the mechanics of what I do or the, the tricks or the, whatever you want to call that is it doesn't really appeal to me as much as it used to. And I don't know if that's from three decades now of doing it or, or just being full time as opposed to being a hobbyist where it's just a fun hobby. Now it's a business or something. Um, but it, that doesn't appeal to me. The things that appeal to me are the theory of how, how like performance theory, and then I love writing. I love writing jokes. I love writing the stories. I like a, putting a whole show together. And does and all so, that writing end up in your show? Because I know you have your blog. Yeah. Some so, of the stuff well, so in. sometimes the blog is me working things out for the show and, okay. and just experimenting with ideas. And other times it's just like getting a thought. out. It's like a brain dump, right? My, my blog's like a brain dump to get some ideas out of my head so I can make room for others. So I, I you know, I write a lot of stuff that doesn't go in the show, but... Every once in a while, I'll put something in the show. I'll be like, this is really good. And I'll do it for a while. And it'll start to get good reactions. I'll go back through a notebook and realize, oh, that, that idea is four or five years old. It just needed some some time to like simmer, right? It, I shelved it, forgot about it, came back around in my mind. I knew it was something. And then I put it in the show. So, so would you consider yourself a creative person? I think so. I used to just do... Perhaps being full time, perhaps turning art into a business diminishes that some in some ways because um, early early on it's just like responding to emails and doing all these things. Now it's a lot of travel and I'm exhausted from traveling and setting up and sound checking and traveling back to the hotel and getting up early the next day and doing it all over again. That in between is like the last thing I want to do is think about the show, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a show that works. I know what I'm going to do. Um, and when I have time to work on the show, it's really like, well, I think I'd rather watch this new Netflix show or do something else, you know, whereas years ago before this was a job and before there were the responsibilities of adult life looming over me, I would just do it for the sake of doing that. Uh, so that's always, you know, that's always what I tell people when they're, they want to do it. I'm like, well, be prepared to perhaps lose some of your passion for the just the fun of it completely in exchange for being able to say you're doing you know, people it. people are always telling me because i told you that i cook that you should do whatever be a chef catering blah 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 i'm like no i don't want to do this yeah. for work because i sure. love it too much and i know that it will become a job sure and it's like my source of where i recharge and right. so yeah that's that's going to happen with anything right like I love making, I love editing video and I just, I simply do it for fun. I've never been able to move the dial on YouTube and I haven't really tried. I just like making videos. I like knowing my way around uh, Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro or whatever I'm working in and just doing that. There's something fun about mm -hmm. that puzzle. I kind of have grown to think of my show in some weird way in terms of film editing because you're you're mm. holding the attention of the audience and so... You know, you see it, you, if you do anything for long enough, it starts to seep. Or I'm sure cooking, you th see things in terms of ingredients or something after a while or something. I used to take like a typing class in high school, and for years after, I would say a word and think of where it was on the keyboard. <laughs> right? And it's just that kind of thing. Film editing does that to me. Yeah. I like to run, but those things stay like personal. That's like my just my hobby and my my interest yeah. on the side. And then performing is fun. So I I used to make stop motion videos. I used to write, I've, I've written a couple screenplay ideas. Um, my wife and I had a podcast at one point similar to yours about, it was about artists and, and the industry and things. And, and, um, 
we uh, are, are considering, you know, at the moment starting another one. So we, we have all these creative, my, my, met my wife in art school. So we have all these creative ideas and outlets for that. And so I do think I'm a creative person within what I do. I don't really look to create those things as much as yeah. it has allowed me to just like, you know, have fun with other things. So yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird swing of becoming full-time or professional in it where you're like, okay, this is good. And then you leave it at the office and you go do something else, even though that was the thing you couldn't stop thinking about 24 seven, you yeah. know, yeah, it's bizarre. It's interesting. You mentioned about you kind of rewire your brain with where you spend your time sure. and, where, and where you're thinking is. Yeah, totally. And I tell this to people all the time that you're, you're constantly, your brain is constantly evolving and changing and it's adapting. It's super adaptable. And I tell people, you need to be really careful where you place your brain and what you're thinking about because you are changing your brain. And whether that means you need to make sure that you're staying away from negative thoughts and make sure you're focusing on positivity, where you spend your time, um, really like where your, what your belief system is. And like, it's so important because Absolutely. it really, now the good news is I feel like you can change your brain and you change your thoughts fairly quickly because it does adapt. But I think that's a really important idea. Absolutely. A lot of people in my industry are like, I, w I want to do the most amazing thing. I want my audience, when they come, they're going to see the most amazing thing. And to me, the most amazing thing I've ever seen has not been a card trick, has not been like at a magic show, right? It's been like uh, Waimea Canyon in Hawaii or like I went to Dubai this year and that's like an insane play. It was absolutely mind-blowing or the ocean or, you know, you know, Grand Canyon. or Those are the things that like amazed me and like, you know, knocked me over sideways. Um, but I, the the thing, the push for me has been mystery, has been, I think, um, what what I have and what, what I can offer audiences, that feeling of not knowing is so powerful. And there was a moment three, four years ago where I was like, oh, I'm not living this. I'm not, my brain isn't in this mystery. I'm telling audiences to do one thing, but I'm not experiencing mystery. And you, you know, you read about artists all the time who actually do the thing they say and th they'll live a life of you know, like a nomad or something because that's what they preach or whatever, right? And I was like, I'm not really having that. I talk big about this mystery on stage and then go off and I'm like, know everything. I'm constantly connected and all this. So uh, to echo your point, I I removed all that to wire my brain differently and do that. So, you know, deleted social media, limit my screen time, read more books than watch movies. I've been writing a lot of my blog posts on a typewriter and then I'll put them onto a computer just so I'm not like getting pings of the internet the whole time or something like that. Right. So, uh, you know, I try to go out once a week or every other week with, I, I really like listening to music when I run, but every, occasionally I'll take it out and not run with music. Right. So just to free myself from all that and try to have that, not that, that feeling of not knowing in myself so that it'll come out even more in the show, not just through the words I wrote, but through like, the life I'm living, you know, in much the same way as, you know, what, whatever you're surrounding yourself with starts to seep into your everyday life. So that's been my push lately in regards to what you just said. And, you know, life's better off social media and, and not being as, as dialed in, you know, I'm not sure all this connectivity is making us happier or better people. It's, I don't think it's, it's helpful. No, it's, it's hurt me. It's hurt my creativity to compare myself to people constantly. So all those little things not only are, helping in my mission during my show, but also just personally. 
you know, I, as an artist and a person. So yeah, I can relate to you mentioned uh, running because I'm a runner as well. Okay. Um, I really can't run without music, but if I do go for a walk, I go for a walk without music, and I go for walks without my phone. Yeah, and, I did the same this morning. And it's you don't have to. You're not distracted. You're just listening to. You're seeing the lake. You're hearing the birds, whatever, and it's basically the same experience. Uh, and if you do this in the woods, you are it's the exact same experience as someone 200 years ago. It's it's identical. Yes. Not, not, you're not getting anything else other than, you know, it's you were getting the same inputs as people 200 years ago. It's right. very, and it's very grounding. Right. I'm n- I never get a good idea scrolling Twitter or <laughs> listening to a podcast while doing dishes and responding to an email. You know, you do six things at once or whatever, right? I never get a good idea then, but if you strip all that away, if you go for a walk without listening to something or just sit and think and just allow yourself to kind of zone out, that's where the best ideas come from. And in some weird way, we've all fallen victim to this lie that you got to post, you got to update, you know, all these things. I'm reading a book right now about about um, really focused effort in in your work, being being super focused and how much, uh, traction you can gain in today's society because few people are able to just really get invested deeply in what they do and and have the knowledge to pull from within that some you know remarkable ideas and I'm fascinated by by that idea by the thought that um, you know journalists are told to tweet because they have to meet a quota of tweets when it's like well that's not their job their job is to uncover these stories and do all these things right we've we've got all these distractions that are splitting our our time instead of saying like hey you know just Go on a walk. Go on a walk. That's where the without idea. a podcast, yeah. without music, and next thing you know, you'll be a mile away from home. You'd be like, "What if I did this?" And suddenly, you're down this wormhole of creativity that you didn't know existed because yeah. you've been filling it with likes and Instagram and yeah. you know all these other things. All, all my creative ideas, the big ideas, come when I'm running. Yeah. Always. Oh, absolutely. Always. Yeah. Because it changes your it changes something in my brain and it releases something that I don't have normally just walking around after about after about two miles of running it takes a few miles it takes a couple miles and then something happens right and i am seeing things in a different way it's like a drug i've never taken i've never taken cycle like mushrooms i've never never done anything of that like that but it's kind of like that yeah it's cheaper just go running and then it's better (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad you said that yeah i i don't know many runners uh i because you know i'm my, my job is travel i travel three four days a week for for shows. And so, you know, I'm not in a running club or this. And so I, I'll run on the road or I'll run on a treadmill or I'll run here, you know, you know, by the lake, like you said, when I'm in town. So I don't know many runners, but I read people or, or hear that all the time. Best ideas come running. I feel like my blog is that like every three posts is like, got another good idea of running. The other day I was, I was like on mile two or three and I spent like two miles thinking to myself, how do mirrors work? I just spent all this time being like, how to, how does a mirror work? And it was blowing my eyes. It was out there for like three. And then I came home and I just read articles about mirrors and it was like so fascinating. But like, I would never have wondered that. I was staring at the water and was like, I wonder if someone saw themselves in that. I was like, I want that yeah. on my wall. And so yeah. I just had this whole like, you know, spiral downward. But where else do you do that running? You can't. Everywhere yeah. else you're surrounded by, you know, screens and bombarding uh you know people bombarding you with advertisements or clipboards sign this do that take this give me money so yeah the running is like that that spot where you know the weird ideas are still allowed and you can kind of be alone and next thing you know nothing is off limits because it's just you no no yeah it's 
it's really hard to filter yourself when you're in a lot of pain at like mile four, you know, you, yeah. can't, you can't be like, that's a bad idea. You're like, <laughs> I just want to think about this instead. So yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Do you have any tips for people, uh, people that are listening for them to do something similar for themselves? Take a passion or a skill that they have and turn it into a job that makes money, potentially pays the bills, or it gives them a sense of fulfillment. Sure. I think it took me a long time to realize this, but I think whoever is listening to this or whoever's considering doing that, that your path is not going to look like anyone else's. So the sooner you realize that and you stop looking, and it's really hard in today's society to stop looking at other people, but if you can stop looking at other people or reading someone's biography or memoir or see them on a talk show and be like, that's, that's how I'm going to do it. I got to do this and this and this and this to get where I want to be. It's just not going to happen for you that way. It's just not how it goes. No one person knows the path forward because it's different for everyone. You could take three famous comedians and none of them went the same way, but they're all household name comedians. That's it. So you just need to, to, to do your thing every day and just do a little bit more. And next thing you know, you, you, you know, a couple small gaps open and something yeah. else opens and another opportunity. But I don't have an answer other than that. And the, the sooner you realize that no one really has that answer, it's just grit and persistence and being willing to, to fail and put yourself out there and all those things that everyone's already told you, all the answers are there. You know, you just have to be willing to, to put in the hours. Once you do all that, then, then suddenly you'll look back two years from now and be like, oh man, I've taken some strides forward and didn't even realize it, you know? And that's, I mean, I guess that's the joy of the arts is that we get to create things that have never existed before and simultaneously create the path to do those things. Yes. We're, we're creating our own market and our own career in addition to creating our own product, right? And that, that to me is exciting. So yeah, we live in this time of compare ourselves to each other, Instagram, whatever, you know, YouTube, all these things that are out there. But um, once I turned that off, whatever, flipped that switch and stopped worrying about other people's pathways and just knew that this is mine, this is my path yep. and maybe it's gonna take me longer or yep. maybe I've gotta go right instead of left at this point, that just, uh, you know, anxiety goes away, that calms you down and next thing you know, you're like, just you're just working on your thing and that is kind of what we all wanna be doing. That's that, what I wanna do. That so. makes, that's an amazing piece of advice. I think that's wonderful. I think of the important part of that though is that you have to be paying attention to the world when you are when you are when you're not going by a template and you are doing you you have to really pay attention to what Absolutely. is going on you have to pay attention to your failures your successes you can't like brush aside a failure like ugh you know it was their issue you can't do that you have to be paying attention to everything right and that's how you create that path at right. least i think no i th i agree i think my favorite part of of getting older being in my late twenties or early thirties now is, is having a level of self-awareness of understanding who I am and, and why I'm the way I am. Um, I lost my father in college and I know there are parts of me that are still affected by that to now and th that determine who I am. And I, I travel a lot. So the way I interact with people now is different than I did when I was just in a secluded town in Kansas, you know, when people are different than you. So I love having this level of self-awareness and, I, and it transcends into everything because now if I'm doing something, I can say, am I doing that because that's how I would do it or because I heard that someone else would do it? Mm -hmm. Am I making this because it's mine or because it's someone else's? I can have that level 
of, uh, of awareness about myself and that honesty. And, uh, you know, if, if you're good at having that, great. If not, surround yourself with someone who can be honest with you. And when they say, hey, you know, ask them for feedback and say, what do you think of this? And when they give you feedback, shut up and take the feedback because yeah. that's the only way to really know, am I progressing? Am I moving forward? Am I getting where I want to be? Is by, you know, listening to someone be truthful with you, whether it's you or a partner or a friend or something like that. That's huge. And it, like you said, it's paying attention and being willing to embrace, you know, changes in your environment, changes in, in yourself and know like how those little things are going to shift and, and shape your future. Yep. That, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's really the joy of getting older. It's being like, Oh, this is, this is why I do this. This <laughs> is me. This is, this is my path. This is my journey. You know, I think that another tidbit of advice is like, you can't have a one track mind. You still need to live a life as an artist because all those things seep through. I was at the art Institute three days ago over the weekend. And, uh, I'm always struck by how the, the description of the painting is always of the person's life. They were, they, this person was going through a, uh, you know, they, he was battling depression. And so he moved into this thing and this painting was inspired. And it's like the painting came out of all these other things mm. to, to, it wasn't, I set out to create this painting, you know, right. it came out of others. So it's always a reminder, like you still got to live a life and have all these other things. And so whether or not I ever mentioned this on stage, it's still going to come out because that's yeah. me and I'm a three dimensional real person on stage, hopefully. And, uh, you know, all of that is going to seep out, whether you're a photographer, painter, mentalist, whoever. So that's kind of the joy of what we do as opposed to sitting in a cubicle and, you know, fielding calls all day or something. Nice. So where can people learn more about you, find out how to book you, to see you perform, everything about you? Where do they go? Well, I, I have recently gone off social media, so it's just my website, marktolan.com, M-A-R-K-T-O-L-A-N-D.com. That has all my upcoming show dates, um, you know, videos people can watch. Um, I write a weekly blog. It's called Thursday Thoughts. It comes out on Mondays. No, it's stupid. Um, it's it's called Thursday Thoughts, and it's it's like life ideas from the road. And then the only other, you know, so my website. The only other thing is YouTube. I I post on YouTube. People can subscribe there. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This was great talking thank you. to you. Likewise. My name is Ricky McGuckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 